If you're visiting with us today or you've not gotten one of these delightful pens, uh, the usher at Pettit will give you one at the end of the service. They're really nice. This microphone's right in my way. So that colic today, that colic is one of the oldest ones in the church. It was developed by Leo I. He was Pope at around 441 to 461, somewhere in there. Uh, and he developed that, that colic. It's interesting to know that colic has been said in the church since then, including today. That same prayer has been prayed through the ages. Leo I was also known as Leo the Great, the first one to be called Leo the Great. He's uh, famous for really at least two things. One thing is he was a doctor of the church, and in a simplistic way of putting that, he was a teacher among teachers, if you will. He uh, was recognized as, as being a very big in liturgy. And the other thing he was recognized for is in 451, uh, the Tale of Hun, I like these names, was going around and uh, massacring people. He was in northern Italy and he got near Rome and Leo went out and met him and this is where the story gets a bit sketchy so I've filled it in with my own beliefs. He was able to head the till of the Hun off and not have him sack Rome by A, promising him 10 virgins, my personal favorite, or B, <laughs> he did some saber rattling or see perhaps he won him over by religion. Whatever you think is probably okay because we simply don't know for sure how he got the till of the Hun to not sack Rome. We move into our lesson from Acts that Aaron read today. And in the very first verse, it says, ye men of Israel. Now, this is Peter talking. Remember Peter just earlier in Acts had said, the, everybody was behaving a bit, you know, excited. And he gets in front of the audience and he says, these men are not drunk. It's nine o'clock in the morning. Now in the audience are people that had just crucified Christ. And all of a sudden, he is filled with all these words that could antagonize people that would put him on a cross also. But Peter, and you look at this. Peter was a fisherman. He was, you know, I say about the disciples, they were not the most dignified group. Jesus picked them out, not because they were dignified, but because they were ordinary people. Less than ordinary, called to be extraordinary people. So here's Pete, Peter. He, I mean, he had gone so far in life, he owned a boat with four other people. Not very an accomplished person, but Jesus picked him. And on this rock, Peter, I will build my church. So here he is saying these people, hear the words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by the miracles and wonders and signs. You all saw what he did, which God did by him in the midst of you. The main point of Peter's sermon is to prove that Jesus is both God 
and Messiah. In verse 36, it says, that's the last verse of that lesson from Acts. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know surely that God has made the same Jesus, whom you have crucified. Now, those are words that are not going to be get him invited to any Roman or a Jewish person's dinner that night. He's looking him right in the eye and saying, you crucified not words of endearment to that audience. He seeks to prove this through Christ's miraculous works, which we just read in verse 22. His resurrection, which was verse 24, and his sending the Holy Spirit in verses 33 to 35. Psalm today. Our psalm was actually Psalm 36. And I've told you before, the pattern of the Psalms that David writes usually starts off with, Dear God, I love you, the greatest thing. Together we are going to accomplish the world. Please kill all my enemies so that I can love you more. And even in Psalm 36, you can see, you can feel that this was a psalm written by him. Because he starts off in actually verse 5 of that psalm. Let me just pull that on up. Well, let me have this do from here. Um, he talks about in verse 5, evil doers. There are evil doers in verse 5. And he concludes with a prayer that but the righteous shall be protected from the wicked. Now, who he says that the evil doers are implied, the full implication is it is people that he does not like. So he calls them evil doers. My daughter Amanda used to say to us when she'd get slightly reprimanded by either Brenda or I, you are evil, and surely you will get it. So I can feel maybe she had read the book of Psalms that David wrote. That she still says that today. You will surely suffer. Someday we'll have her in here, and I'll have her say that to you, and you will surely suffer. The theme of Peter's epistle is to give instruction on holy living for those suffering persecution. And I think that lesson, basically what it's saying is, live calmly here on earth. This is your earthly home. And it's temporary. We're pilgrims as we go through this. But do right on this earth so your heavenly eternal kingdom you can get into and you'll live there right forever. So Peter is trying to calm people's people down in verse 11, beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. Then we go over to the gospel today. John 16, 16 to 22. Jesus said to his disciples, a little while and ye shall not see me, and again a little while and ye shall see me, because I go to the Father. Now this isn't the first time Jesus had appeared after his resurrection, but it is the time that what they call Doubting Thomas, which I think is a bad rap, had seen him. Just before the approach to the altar, which is, I don't know what happened in the church, but when we were growing on up, and that wasn't so long ago, I, years have not been nice to me, but it wasn't so long ago, it was a moment of, you know, you kneel, 
you'd say a prayer before you go and receive communion. When the deacon and I are up there at the altar and we turn around and then we say, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That comes from John 1, 29. Blessed are those who are called to his supper. They're not just words. There are words that you should reflect upon. Jesus is the Lamb of God. What does that mean? He was the one who died on the cross. Who takes away by that the sin of the world. He takes away your sin and my sin. It's a very personal thing when you think about it. Those things that hold us back from God, he took away. And as we say our confession, we are relieved again of those things we have done. Blessed are those who are called to his supper. Blessed are you. You're blessed to be called to his supper. Then the response is, by the congregation, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldst come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my soul shall be healed. You ever think about them when you say them? When you think about those words deeply, when you say them, they bring on a whole new depth of feeling. By his grace, we are saved. The likes of you and me, we are saved. If possible, and as the the years go on, sometimes it's harder and harder for some of us to kneel in adoration, but we're called to do that if we can. If we can't, everything's okay. But if you can, again, some of these things, you say, oh, I don't want to do that. But they draw you closer, in my opinion, to God as you worship. The bells are rung. Just before I receive communion, as a signal to the congregation to get ready for communion. Get yourself ready spiritually. If you haven't done a good confession, do one just before you come to the altar. Don't come to the altar in the wrong light, in the wrong way. St. Thomas in John chapter 20, verse 24 to 29. In fact, if you want to take out your pew Bibles, it's found on page 907. Now, if you know this story about St. Thomas, I want you to read this in a new way, because there's a punchline to this, that every time when I raise the cup, I don't know if you can hear me or not. I raise the cup and I go, my Lord and my God. That comes from this, what St. Thomas said. My Lord and my God. It's words you can say as you receive communion, either the host or the blood of Christ, if you feel like it. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with him when Jesus had come. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands in the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Bold words to say, because he hasn't seen Christ yet, and he is not a believer that Christ has risen from the dead. 
The others have seen him and know he has. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with him. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Imagine that. Peace be with you. You ever get all angry and fired up over something? You know, somebody's done something to you, or you've done something to somebody else, and you're all just in a tizzy over it? Listen to those words. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Calming words. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put your hand and place it in my side. Do you do not believe, but believe? Thomas answered and said, my Lord and my God. He saw and he believed. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen, yet believed. We here have not seen. Or perhaps we have, if you look at it in a different way. If you've worshipped Jesus, if you've worshipped God, you've come to a place with him, where as the Baptists say, uh, if you're born again, perhaps you could say that, or do you walk with Jesus? If you walk with Jesus, you can proclaim my Lord and my God because you know it and you feel it. He is your God. I'd like to give you one thought to reflect on today and the days ahead. This past Monday or Tuesday, a leaked document has brought the people in the states up in arms. Others are saying this is great. We in this church are a pro-life church. So imagine people being upset that babies will live. Imagine that. People are upset that babies will live. Interesting thing, Brenda and I were having coffee this morning and we were talking about this and we as people who are pro-life are put down by those who are, shall we say, lightly pro-choice. And actually, we are, many of us are put in a place where we don't want to say we're pro-life because it may upset them. Well, they're not shy about saying they're pro-choice. So we should not be shy about saying we are pro-life. Things divide us in this world. And those of us who are orthodox, that's holding to biblical teachings, if you will, are sometimes put down. And by saying nothing, we are guilty. Don't give one inch, one tenth of an inch of your faith away by not saying anything. The sin of omission. Speak out. Don't be embarrassed to say. We are nice conservatives. But we are conservatives. And when things need to be said, they need to be said. Just think again. Imagine people being upset 
that babies will live. Amen.